0: This is One Hate Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll.
0: What's your name?
1: Wayne Grove. You look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven here.
0: Robbery, homicides, take out, Give me all you got! This and Give me, me all you got! I do what I do best. Takes course. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me once again, it's really. It's not often that I have such a quick turnaround with a with a great international guest, but this one just so happened to coincide his first visit, gracing us on the show in the high scene, and, and then right at the tail end of our conversations, I'm not even sure if we recorded it, mentioned, oh Blake, I have an amazing story about the house where Treo lives, in Heat, and it was like, well, of course you have to come back. It doesn't matter. But we're <laughs> only mere minutes away from it. Um, editor extraordinaire and someone who gives amazing Twitter, um, the legendary Vashi Nedimanski is back on the show. Vashi, welcome back, sir, to One Heat Minute.
1: Dude, Blake, thank you so much for having me. I'm just totally entrenched with everything, and that includes (laughs) listening and catching up to get almost current on your show, your podcast, because, again, it's just so much information, so much to relive, so much to enjoy and explore. And like, you know, we, we always get back to like the craft of filmmaking and and how exquisite it is in this film. And so it's just amazing to listen to all your wonderful guests and, and learn about them and learn about their thoughts and your thoughts on heat. So thank you for having me back and hopefully we can contribute some more interesting stuff on this minute.
0: Can't wait to talk to you more about it uh, specifically on those details, but it is a great, this is a, you know, this crossover minute, um, that, that people are listening to now is, uh, a great one because it sort of comes out of nowhere and it's one of the it's another scene where Neil McCauley appears in front of you and you don't know where he is and it's a sort of they res- reserve a lot of those scenes for earlier on in the film we don't know where Neil is he's doing something he's in a phone booth he's getting out of a train he's going for a walk where's Neil going and then you sort of get your bearings with the character again but this one obviously now we're in the thick of it where um, almost two hours into this film um, in a two hours and 50 minute film so it's it's pretty crazy that we're here Um, and uh, what I'll quickly do for you guys at home is uh, uh, Vashi and I are very familiar with the minute that we're about to talk about but I'm going to play the um, audio for you guys to have a listen to Vashi and I are going to listen to it again just to refresh and then we're going to come back and we're going to dive into everything do it How'd you do it. What happened? They made me. Who?
1: Where's Anna? She's dead. Uh, uh. So is Michael on Breen, the guy who stood in for you. Who did it? Who did it? They had Anna, man. Who had her?
0: A... There it is.
1: Rain Grove.
0: How, how cruel, just to start, how cruel is Neil's Anna's dead? And how perfect is Treya's sort of croak? Like, the realisation oh. that she's gone. It is just, it's so harsh. Punches me every time I watch this scene. And I just think... It actually helps deflate Neil, and Neil sort of changes his stance a little bit once he hears that like guttural, yeah. very. And
1: you don't expect that from Treo or his character, you know, no. only because like everyone's so badass, hardcore. Everyone is used to everything. And and obviously, De Niro is just trying to get information before he dies, before Treo dies. He's like, I need to get a nugget. I need to be sent on my path. And then when he hears the last words in that minute, like like there's a gasp, like you're like, Oh shit. Like <laughs> he's been now charged with this mission that Wayne grows behind it all. He's the one that fucked everyone over. And that like, you don't want to put Macaulay in this position cause it's gonna, it's not going to end well and it never does. And it definitely doesn't in this film, but he's now charged with this new mission and it's going to obviously cause him to make the first of like, you know, the first bad mistake. Like the first really life-altering mistake that he does, and and even that scene when they're driving on the, 105 in LA, like that's an insane scene. But this whole point is like uh, this minute is polar opposite to what we sat with last time with the the shootout in the streets. This is a quiet minute. Um, we do get and tonally, like, you
0: know, tonally, you would appreciate the hell out of just from a craftsman perspective. Is the 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 bowels of this house are lit in such phenomenal ways like the lighting yeah. on the greens and or the blue is almost like an aqua tones that are on neil at certain points and then you get into the bedroom where you see that the only thing you get to see is anna um Atreya's wife sort of you see, you see her heels and blood and it's the most manhunter shot that's in this whole yeah. movie it's like the manhunter shot from heat that's exactly what it is yeah. and it just gives you just enough information without being gratuitous to go neil instead of stalking the house looking for a kill is now looking for the remnant like he's in a death scene so he can speed up like he's not i love there's a lovely little contrast but in all that beautiful editing and and darting around corners it's it's you going through a whole bunch of moods that are mirroring i think you know the pursuit that we're on at this in this in this juncture
1: right and yeah you're right about anna like you see her heels are they're they're blurry in the foreground. There's blood on it. But there's like this horrifying streaking of blood on the wall. Oh, yes. Like, you know, that's that he sees everyone sees. And you know that death was not a quick one. You know, it wasn't no. painless. It wasn't like uh, a mercy killing just to take care of her. It was like we want to make her scream and we want him to, to hear it in the other room and him to just go through absolute hell and torture. And that brings me to my but the biggest point my takeaway from this one minute is that This is like the first or one of the first times that we've been with these characters for quite a while. We're emotionally attached, even if they're good guys or bad guys. But when the price is someone's actually dying and they're dying, not well, it really, really hurts. Like just to see Anna laying there not even see her face, not even know what she looks like. That's horrifying. The first time we see Trey when we're looking down and, the makeup is insane. Like it's, his so busted up. You can just feel that his head is like a watermelon. It's already been cracked. Yes. Yes. And that just stuff is loose and you can, can hear stuff like oozing out and you know, he's not all there. And it's just a horrifying thing. He's doing the Jesus Christ pose in his pool of light in the middle of this, of the bedroom here, you know, and I'll I'll get to the the other stuff at the house. But, It's just these are real people. And I always you always take killing for granted in films. You're like, oh, someone gets shot. You know, you watch John Wick, nothing against John Wick or something, but he kills like 300 people and you have no (laughs) physical or emotional response. But in this movie, when people start dying, these are real people. They've lived 50 years or 45 years to get to this point. Yes. And there's a huge toll emotionally that the characters in the the film are hit with. And also as a viewer, like I don't want to see any of these guys die. No, no. You know, and it's it, it's one of the realest moments because we always we often take the killings for, for granted in films, but these are so emotional and every single one of the deaths coming up in the last, you know, twenty minutes are are just gut-wrenching, you know? They're horrifying. More so because we know them so well.
0: And him I think there's just something special about when a big character and I, I can't believe I'm gonna draw this this comparison but i'm about to it's like (laughs) but danny Trejo has got such vital like especially if you're watching this reflectively like if you know danny Trejo, you have never really been a big fan of michael mann or you hadn't seen heat before when you see danny Trejo in this movie that vitality that carries through the rest of his career this like powerhouse dude always super tough guy like even you know to super heroics when it comes to his own like machete etc like you see him as this this heroic figure and in this movie he's very sort of stoic and he's this he's a pillar He, he he He's unmoving and he's very he's young and good looking. And this is like the the emergence of him on the scene. And we go from him being this like stoic, rigid, very casual guy. And then you see him under pressure and he's like, I'm sorry to let you down. And then right then we just see him felled like a tree. Exactly like you said. I think the the word picture you said, which I'm never gonna forget, Vash, is like a watermelon <laughs> that's been cracked. And like that's exactly yeah. what we see him splayed out, Jesus Christ posed, halo of blood. He's he, oh. he's he's looking he's looking. It's all the more disturbing because he's this stoic character. But it's like when you see the comparison of like people, big characters dying, and 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 these especially big tough guys dying. It's huge. The film I was going to rec- reference was like Executive Decision. Like, does anyone yeah. remember when Segal dies in the first five minutes of that movie? And oh, you're yeah. like, We're is he not the hero? The
1: Yes. yeah yeah he's in the, in the in the plane attached to the the airports yeah and then it yeah it gets detached and he just dies
0: he yeah there's nothing <laughs> like he's just <laughs> I remember. Dead. he's just dead yeah. and so that's like in a, in a in a sort of more tangential way i think that's where it shows like that the the tougher the person that is felled and the harder that they've died i think that like and especially this whole scene is like a pause like this is a single death like i've seen heaps of death in that in in our previous discussions and heaps of death around it but you know Appraising a death scene and then living in it and sort of being with someone for their final few moments as this does it sort of brings everything back to that really you know really harsh reality
1: and and if the stakes weren't high enough for all these guys already (laughs)
0: like
1: now it's that and i'm really happy we didn't get to see treo getting beaten up to this point and i'm so happy we didn't get to see anna get killed as well agree that would be absolutely gratuitous you don't need it it's much more horrifying to stumble upon them and find them in this state. And then your, your brain obviously fills in the blanks and they're like, Oh my God, it must've been a baseball bat and a two by four and a shovel and God knows what (laughs) else they used on him. Yes. And what kind of cutting weapon they used on Anna. And it's like, again, the stakes are real. These are real people. And it's very affecting, you know, when you see the results of this emotionally as a viewer, you know? Yes. And this is one of the only times when we follow De Niro through, it's a very haphazard handheld camera. Yes. Um, Like when we were in the gun battle, it was handheld, but it's a wide lens and they're keeping it very smooth. It's either on a truck or on a steady cam as they're running through. It's very composed. This is loosey goosey. And it's like, you know, it's (laughs) it's inside De Niro's head. It's like, what is he thinking? Like around the corner is there going to be a guy with a gun? Is there going to be a dead body? You don't know. So it helps amp up his point of view, literally, um, by having that loose camera. And you can tell it's really loose. He, the, the operator is not like just trying to frame it nice. He's like fucking throw it around, you know, make yeah, it we, chaotic. Yeah,
0: we want we to feel what his instincts are. And I think you can, mm-hmm. that's, that's a great, there's a great delineation between like, sometimes there's the, you know, the great movies that show the precision. And as you said, like this movie is quintessential for like tactics, um, and, uh, precise tactical um, uh, warfare. And here yeah. it's like I don't know I don't know any of the geography where I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna navigate each room as I see fit, each corner as I see fit, and wherever I feel like there's attention, I'm gonna go there. So it kind of gives you exactly like you said, that feeling of like he doesn't know what he's gonna find around any corner. And then when he sees Anna, that like yeah, jerky it stops. the jerky camera, yeah. yeah, gets locked off. Bang. And he just oh. runs down the hallway. Yep. And
1: it's I mean it's just that whole camera again using camera and filmmaking techniques to create emotions is one of the great things that masters of cinema can, can, can really do well. And like you said, like that, it's a sense of urgency when you have that camera handheld like that and then showing that locked off shot of Anna and then him running to to, to Trejo. It's like, that's all planned out. It's, you can't shoot a film. And like, you know, I've cut a lot of indie films. I know a lot of filmmakers, they're just trying to get a shot, you know, they're like, all right, you get over here, get over here. We're going to shoot this. But there's that pre-production, that that pre-thought that you have to do, like, where are these characters emotionally at this moment? How can we represent that through the tools of filmmaking that we have access to that don't cost any money? A tripod or a handheld, like, you know, if you already own it, it's great. But you have to think, what does the shot need? What does the film need at this moment? What are we trying to convey? And that's all forethought. That's not, you can't get on the day and say, all right, let's just shoot some stuff and we'll see what we have and we'll cut it later. Nope. That's not the right approach. And obviously, Michael Mann is the last person to not prepare <laughs> insanely for for even an insert shot of a fucking watch on a table, you know.
0: Yes. I was just I was just thinking that you've 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 really reinforced a point. You know, it's it's about it's it's about 18 episodes after the great Dante Spinotti was on the show and he talked about and revealed something that I think a lot of people may have tangentially beat around the bush with with Michael Mann's production is you know he's so clinical and so prepared but Dante always talked about the emotional trajectory of the film being mapped out early and I think you've just nailed it which is that to be that prepared for not only what you want to see and for the script and the tone of the film but the emotional preparation then opens exactly up the possibilities that you talked about so in this scene instead of I want a handheld camera I need a shaky handheld camera like I need a yep. shaky handheld camera for the opening thirty seconds of this, you know what ultimately ends up being about a three and a half minute um, sequence. I need a shaky handheld camera, and then immediately after Anna, because the Anna is like a you know the 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 low framed locked off perspective shot from the room that catches De Niro in the in in yep. in, in your in eye, eye in the doorway, yep. and then and then I need a locked off. Like fast moving handheld that's got some precision, and then obviously into these, you know, this sort of what is kind of a perverted classical one-two shot of these two, like an overhead and an under, yep. under face. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, you're so right. It's like this, this is this is what makes the difference between uh, incredible master filmmakers who are really adept at their craft is like the preparation even comes down to the emotion of what a camera can do to make us, yes, m- yes. B- manipulating well, us in our seat.
1: It all goes hand in hand. And if you leave one of those components out, then the impact won't be there. And as a film editor, I I know that like one shot, one bad shot that that I use in a scene can ruin the scene, which will (laughs) then ripple through and ruin that sequence, which will ruin the act, which could ruin the film. I'm not exaggerating that one shot can absolutely fucking bury a film. And 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 we've all seen films. Where you're watching it and then one shot just jumps out and everyone's like what what the what was that <laughs> and then you're talking about that shot for 30 seconds and not in, not enraptured and caught up in the film and that's a criminal like that's you can't do that as an editor and uh, my job as an editor is to find creative solutions to limitations if they exist or even if they're perceived yes because you know i can if a camera's shaky i can stabilize it if it's stabilized and i want it to be shaky i can add animations to make it look like a camera which we did on deadpool had a whole bunch of presets made so the locked off camera could be handheld at any time with different varieties and that's again talking to the emotion of the scene through technical and mechanical um, techniques you know so they go hand in hand
0: you know it's so i'm so happy that today that i'm talking to you the academy have done a backflip on actually honouring the artistry of editing, <laughs> because on oh, this show yeah. particularly, and I know that you're a very vocal proponent, and and as was the the, the entire industry, I felt like just sort of all cr- like was screaming out, but like yeah, I've I. I've talked to the, some of the greatest editors and cinematographers, as far as I'm concerned, that have ever lived on this show. And so it's a really crazy thing to think that, you know, it wasn't going to be on it, but you're exactly right. You guys are finding the mechanical ways to sort of convey artistry. Like, it's like, literally that's ha- that's your job. Like it's to, yeah. to reinforce it. So, oh, it's so good. The, wh- when, when you're looking at this, like when you're looking at scenes like this, um, and you're looking at this performance because i I've had a I've had a like I pondered this here at the end of this two shot what do you think it is about is it the power structures that we're looking at in this two shot with between de Niro and between um, Treyo here because or Macaulay and Treo because this is one sort of it's it, for all its invention the inventiveness of this organic emotional camera we do come to a pretty locked off I would say like conservative or classical two shot that comes back to it. When you're looking at this and you're, and and I know that he's trying to distill so much information and like tell a a whole bunch of info about missing scenes here. So I get why we've got to have this dialogue, but when you're looking at it, what, what, what are you thinking as an editor around the framing? Because for me, it starts to be about power and there's also about that intimacy as well. The more I look at it, it's like I've seen scenes of couples in bed in movies or in TV shows where like, we're getting, we're looking down from the ceiling, basically, or over yep. the shoulder down to someone in bed, and and then the couple talking over. And it's obviously much more intimate than a gun in the face and a cracked watermelon head, as we've just discussed. Oh. But but I, I wonder what your thoughts are about that intimacy. Is that what you think? Uh, you know, is that your gut feeling when you're looking at the the craft? Here? Yeah,
1: I love I love the two shot where little De Niro is like hovering over him, obviously, and they're both in frame, and and the fact that he has a gun to his like throat or his mouth the yes. whole time like treo is not a threat no. by any means there's no. nothing he can do but macaulay now is literally he has to try and get an answer before this guy dies and i don't think he's trying to scare him i just think it's a i think he's just keeping it in frame just to have it there like whatever like he doesn't know what's going on so he's going to be extra protective of himself um and i really like that two shot because de niro's hovering over him right like Yes. It's scary. The light on his face makes his eyes dark. There's the curve of his nose. He looks like evil and mean in this pose, like in the, in the way it's framed. Yes. They're very close. Like you said, the intimacy of the shot. I, I prefer two shots as opposed to singles or over the shoulders only because if you have two good actors and you have a, a solid script, being able to read off the two actors and be able to look back and forth between them and see them organically interact and actually play the scene out. It makes editing a lot easier. I would love to ride a two shot as long as I can. Yes. My whole theory for editing is, I I will cut when I have to, but I'm not going to cut because I want a close up of this or close up of that. If if they're performing and they're giving and delivering, I want to let the actors perform and I want to give the audience a chance to, to to watch what they want in the scene. It's framed amazingly. You can look at De Niro, you can look down at Treyo. Your eye moves, you know, an inch or two. Yes, when you're watching this. Um, if, if the whole scene was just the, uh, the one shot of De Niro and another shot back and forth, you do lose that. They're both in frame. You know they're in the same room, but you don't get that intimacy where they're so close and, and they're reading off each other. It's just more emotional. We usually cut as editors to singles or close-ups when we have to cut out of another shot or gain a moment so we can get back to another shot into a later point. Yes. A lot of times it's just it's a necessity that we cut to, that, to a close-up or a one-shot so we can come back to it later. So I really appreciate and enjoy films that you can have longer shots, longer takes that are well composed, but that comes back to it where if you have a longer shot than a short shot, you have to have all these components working. You have to have the performances, the framing, the lighting, the set design, the wardrobe, the music, all has to be fucking running on, on maximum perfection. Because one of those again, one of those elements are not perfect or or exceptionally very, very well done. Then you'll just stare and be like, look at that white wall behind you. <laughs> you know? and you'll be like totally taken out of the moment. So this two shot that we keep talking about here where he's hovering over, we have the blue lights in the background of the of the downtown. Yes. You know, the white lights in the distance. So we have this depth of field. We could see that they're up somewhere. You have the light on Treo. You got the light on, on De Niro. You have their outfits, the gun, like everything's framed perfectly and you can live in this shot, shot for a while and so it's think, not easy to do you just can't run long and say all right go no it has all come together
0: i think you nailed it though it's there's only one and it's literally as we close out this minute you know the the great lot the the up lighting um the sort of almost like the explanation of like oh there are there is some you know incidental light outside and there's the the light bleeding in from the city because we're up high so that's you know sort of explaining how we're seeing this up light on, on on Neil's face and his eyes yeah. are dark and there's only like one flash of a second and you talked about how a flash of a second can ruin a moment and you talk about a flash of a second that can make a moment and I feel like the only time you really see the crisp whites of Neil's eyes is when he says Wayne like the furrowness on his brow almost changes so that you can see his eyes because he's then not Mr. I'm sure of everything not Mr. like he, he, he's, he's scrambling and Wayne like the fact that it's Wayne grow that is the architect of his demise here—the guy yes. that he could totally dismiss and and cast off—and we've just seen him do that from like literally from like a hundred minutes ago in this movie oh, yeah. that he didn't care about—is like back, and we we've known it as the audience. We've yes. we've seen all the cards on the table, but it's so like what like Wayngro? He, he oh no, he does. He
1: pulls. He, I'm, I'm I'm saying he pulls a face, which is not fair because that's like bad acting term but De Niro literally is overcome when he hears Wayne grow he's like everything starts clicking you know together and and he's filling in the pieces of where did this go wrong how do we get fucked over why did this happen to us I'm a master planner this should not happen now I'm on the run now he gets this nugget and like we said like this is a springboard for Macaulay to finish the business go dark but also to be waylaid and go on a whole other separate mission that eventually you know cost him his life um but that's out of like the code you know the code of the gangster (laughs) like he has to go do this you know has to he has no
0: choice and this is the great moment of like that's the first nugget and so not just take any of the thunder from the next moment that we talk about but it's like this is the first this is the first moment of the next moment which is like not only are the two people that neil dismissed um along the way co-conspirators in his demise like it it, it then it then charges up you know his next actions that sort of propel him into the rest of this movie so it's just this you know this this wonderful little thing and 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 obviously charges up into vincent going these guys are so perfect it's impossible that some dummy would be able to tell me that they were going to take down this bank there's no way that i would have gotten this information unless someone wanted me to get it which again you know reads into how great hannah is as a detective and his crew because yeah. they're like we didn't get this from some dummy we got this from someone who's playing games and he's right. an enemy and, it,
1: and it's amazing that all these little nuggets and pieces are are divulged at the right time you know and they're all it's all obviously in the script and in the story and, and i'm you know i'm sure they maybe shuffled something around here or there to make some clarification but you're never confused you know exactly what's going on the whole time and we're ahead of the characters because we see both sides so we have that like tingle in our butts where we're like, oh, shit, something's going to happen. When he <laughs> finds out, you're like, oh, God, here we go. And then the last 20 minutes of this film is is unbelievable. Like it goes all over Los Angeles, first of all, obviously. And, you know, everything all hell breaks loose. But like it all stems from this quiet moment where he gets that one nugget, Wayne which. Wanger. Yeah, just yeah, one word, Wayne And everything goes to hell for everyone at this point
0: (laughs) oh man that is so good now you have to tell me about this house we've teased it we've teased guys
1: yeah yeah yeah. so um it was about nine years ago i was um i was executive producer of a crime film set in los angeles called the grind um that is still not released because there's uh, arguments with the Director and some other stuff going on, but I was the exec producer. I was the DP editor um, Pretty much everything I put you know, the money up that would help cast it We have an amazing cast like uh, John Polito is in this we have Like there's like five or six character actors that are in like every Cohen's film that we knew through friends that we all got together for this Crime drama about three guys in Los Angeles that are tasked with doing stuff and we shot in 65 locations around LA um, so it's very much, it was like our heat anyways, cause we were like, yes. steal every location, use every place that we know, use all our actor friends, use everything. And, um, so we were all over the place, but there was a scene where we had to have a bit of a showdown. And one of my assistant producers was like, well, a friend of mine, I think he knows the guy that that owns the heat house like, <laughs> the heat house. He's like, yeah, the house on stilts. And I'm like, all right, stop everything. we, we Let's rewrite. We're going to be shooting at the the heat. house. That scene that was supposed to be like at the park, it's going to be at the heat house. And so I called, I got in touch touch with the guy who owns the heat house. And this is almost, you know, nine years ago now. And I called him and I said what we were doing that we needed, you know, we needed it for an afternoon or like eight or 10 hours to get this couple scenes inside the house. And he was like, Oh, that's great. We shoot, you know, videos here. We have parties here. You know, the starting price is like $5,000 for the day. And I'm like, that's 5,000 okay um what if we go for shorter time because i was funding this part out of my pocket and and every filmmaker's challenge is like try and get a free location or get a friend of course uh, of course, of course. you've got you've got to be thr-
0: you've got to be thrifty it's a hate house you,
1: you- got to be thrifty so through through promises manipulation and god knows what else i got them down to 500 bucks for like 10 hours um, the only thing was that his wife and kid had to stay there cause they couldn't go anywhere that day. So we had to have the wife and his like infant son was there and we had to keep them like in other rooms and stuff while we shot. But the scene that we shot there and it was an amazing location. Like obviously it's, it's east of Los Angeles. It's on this you know hilltop looking down in LA. That view is like spectacular. When we first drove up in the afternoon, you're driving through, um, a city underneath and you have to wind, get these winding roads to get up to it and you get there and you realize that it's a lot smaller than you think. Like the interior, I think it's only like a two bedroom, two bath. Yes. So it's a lot smaller than you think, but the stilts are insane and it's just like teetering, you know, and we (laughs) walked, we walked my, myself and the director walked the grounds and looked at it from every angle. So we were like, how can we shoot the outside, the inside? Just, we had some time to set up. Um, but it was insane that we got to, shoot there and then I'll try and send you, I got stills and obviously I have the the scene cup. It's like a five minute scene, which mimics a lot of of stuff in heat. We do have a body on the ground in the same spot as Trejo. We have a guy coming through the front door. So you you get to see, you get to see the actual heat house in it, all its glory. And we, we just had to do, we had access to it. We said, let's, let's do an homage within our film to this location, which is so spectacular. Um, It looks unbelievable. And the craziest part is the heat house. About a hundred feet away, up the same street is the antenna house, where he gets the information. Where oh, um,
0: with with Kelso and Tom Noonan's Kelso, character,
1: that's only hundred feet away from the heat house.
0: Oh my God, that it's is so right cool. behind
1: it on the same road. Goes up there. It's still chained and like chained and fenced off. Um, but it's right there. So we drove up there as well and we we're looking, but we didn't shoot anything there. We didn't want to be like, that would be too much of That'd a be too much. tip of the hat. You
0: know? <laughs> that but, um, is... I'll
1: share with you. I'll send you some stills or something if you want to even post it. Please. A couple like Please. killer that... shots. Where, oh,
0: that would be amazing. Where you can at
1: least see it. And I have no problem doing that.
0: If you guys want to just see a couple of the stills, com is where they'll be. I'll post them on this episode link and I'll make sure I tweet them out. Guys, that was, that. I mean, Vashi. Thank you so much. That's a that's an awesome story, and I love to hear that like um you got to have your own little moment of heat. Devastated for you that the grind is stuck in the grind of you know machinations it's, it's about all, release. And this
1: this happens so often. It's all about the the politics and the rights, and I want this, and X wants that, and we got to do this, and we need more money to finish the legal end and do the insurance, and they're like we don't have money, so it's like. I might just release it for free on my website with a tip jar just for me. So who knows?
0: <laughs> look, look, and if you ever do, please hit us up. Any of the people who listen to this show would happily donate to that tip jar to check it out, and even if it's just for another <laughs> um, for another few minutes in Treo's house. In, uh, in, oh, it in, is. In, for, 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 a... for one minute. Look, uh, I just want to say, firstly. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Um, Awesome news um, for our great guest is that he is now part of the American Cinema. Editors Society so thank you so much uh now Vashi at at Vashi Q on Twitter but now it says Vashi Nedimansky AC which is freaking awesome so congratulations to you sir that,
1: thank you so much I it's it's a huge honor I'm really proud and I just really want to keep sharing my knowledge with about film editing and educating people and, and cutting amazing films and just forwarding that because it's such an important component and to be able to be part of a, a larger group that shares that the same views and 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 such an amazing, you know,
0: Guys, assembly
1: you, of people, it's crazy.
0: If you don't already at VashiKill on Twitter, at um, Vashi Visuals is the link to his uh, site. Um, uh, and and what I'd say is, what connected Vashi and I was an unbelievable. Um, uh, extraction of the entire high scene and every single shot from the high scene that he painstakingly um, put together. But, but Vashi has a passion for doing that with so many amazing movies and sort of unpacking, you know, those rich and incredible techniques that sort of manipulate your emotions, but showing you all the technical underpinnings of that. So if you have a time and you're a film geek, and I'm sure if you've listened to this show and you've got any time, please take a look at the site. It's excellent. Vashi, I just want to say a huge thank you for being a part of One Hit Minute twice in such short, success and, uh, short succession, two huge minutes um, that we've gotten to talk about. So thank you so much again. Anything else you would my like to plug? pleasure.
1: I was so happy you reached out after I posted those images. You were like, dude, come on my show now. <laughs> and, and I really liked the two minutes we had. We had like the craziest shootout minute ever downtown. And then we had this call moment where information was revealed. So it was a really nice dichotomy of of the filmmaking talents of the, of the entire squad involved because it really highlights so many different things in, in two minutes. So it's crazy. So thank you so much, Blake.
0: Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to one heat minute, OneheatMinute.com for everything. I'm Blake Howard at Blake is Batman on Twitter. You'll see me and just follow the hashtag hashtag one heat minute. We have an amazing lineup of guests, including Bashi for this week and beyond. Um, If you want to follow, um, uh, please rate, review the podcast anywhere you can. Garth Franklin, thank you for our web design. Paul Davies, thank you for our awesome theme. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you on another episode of One Hit Minute just around the corner. And Wayne Grow, who'd have thought it? Wayne Grow.